So we have this little tradition at our house. We always do the, we do the question of the day. I don't know if anybody does the question of the day, but you ask your smart speaker and you say, hey, smart speaker, what's the question of the day? And so my son and I do, it's like our, our ritual every day. And we were like up to like 11 consecutive correct answers in a row. The pressure was building. So the other day I say, hey, smart speaker, what's the question of the day? So so we're sitting there and and... And the smart speaker says, the question of the day, here's the Roman numeral, L-I-V. What is that number? Is it 14, 54, 96, 104? Now, I knew immediately. I knew immediately it was 54. And, and so I'm just about to do it. But right then, my wife turns on the garbage disposal right at that instant. And all of a sudden, the, somehow the garbage disposal sounded like the answer C or something. And I'm like, ah, what are you doing? Turn the garbage. And then by then, we had lost our streak. We answered the question wrong. And it was all a shambles. Our streak had ended because somehow the garbage disposal, this horrible background noise, my little smart speaker wasn't able to determine the difference in that and my voice and our whole streak. That's why... That's why we're so excited for a company like Yobi, because Yobi is going to solve so many of these problems. And we're going to show you exactly how your smart speaker will never get you confused with your garbage disposal and ruin your consecutive streak on consecutive question of the day questions and answers. Hi, everybody. I'm Darren. And I'm Jeff. Welcome to The Voice Box. Our guest today is Ken Sutton from Yobi. Ken, it is great to have you here on the on the podcast. Guys, thanks for having me. And, and Darren, great intro, great story. Uh, it's, it's now hard. I feel horrible. I feel horrible. My streak ended. Ken, it was like we had like eleven consecutive days of like of like the correct answer, and all because of the garbage disposal. Sorry, I'm a little worked up from it still. Yeah, no problems. <laughs> So, Glad so give here. me, give me the, give me the rundown. You specialize in like background noise and eliminating background noise, but, but a lot more than that as well. Give me sort of a little rundown on, on what Yobi does. Yeah. You know, so at a high level, you know, the ability for us to deal with noise is a byproduct of our solution. It's not the focus, right? So, uh, you know, the, the, the technology or the term for the problem in people with signal processing has heard this, have heard this for years is the called the cocktail party problem, which is the ability that we have for, as a human standpoint to focus in on voice in any auditory environment. It's the, you know, it's the evolution of the human auditory system in re relationship to, to voice and speech. We've used artificial intelligence to duplicate that to a certain degree. So a byproduct of that ability to duplicate that system is the ability for us to focus in on voice and the unique characteristics of voice we track things like voice biometrics in the high noise environments, like the environment that you mentioned where the garbage disposal comes on. And there's tons of technology out there that can use machine learning that you can train for voice in noisy environments, but it's that adaptiveness that artificial intelligence brings to the table. Like what happens when that is not on when you initially start, started talking, but it barges in. That's the adaptiveness AI gives you, which we can do as humans through evolution, right? We don't have to say, oh, wait, let me wait for the garbage disposal to stop so I can hear you. We can make the adjustment in real time. The truth of that ability to extract that voice in those noisy environments and be adaptive to the noise as it's coming in real time, quote unquote, the real world, is the ability to extract all the metadata associated with voice as well. So there's a lot of information captured in voice that our smart devices have not used yet 
to really interface with us as humans. And if I use the cocktail party as an issue or as a statement, and I like to give this example because it kind of makes it kind of salient. You know, we're in a couple, I don't think people have cocktail parties anymore, but <laughs> um, I'm dating myself a little, um, but you're in a cocktail party or some venue where there's people speaking, there's glasses clanking, there's music in the background, you're having a nice conversation, but you can focus on that person that's speaking. And we don't have a noise cancellation methodology as humans. We're not canceling the background noise. It's still there. We're just focusing on the person of interest in their voice and we're paying attention using cognizance. So we've basically been able to duplicate that using software. An interesting byproduct of that is also the metadata captured in voice can also be extracted. So if you take that exact same cocktail party and someone comes into the venue and they scream something like the word fire, from a human auditory standpoint, we were able to hear the word fire over the noise. We were able to geolocate where that person is in relationship to us. They're to my left shoulder, roughly hundred meters behind me. We've been able to decipher, is it a man or a woman? Is it a child or is it adults? But more importantly, we've been able to figure out in a split second, was the person serious or were they joking? All of this happens in a split second by somebody saying one word. It's been our core mission to not just clean up the signals so we can hear it better or it can go through ASR and give you better results from a command and control standpoint. We are also extracting all of that hidden data associated with what's happening in the environment what is the person's intent that they're speaking to the device or whoever you're talking to, and we're able to pass it off to our partners. And so that's kind of in a capsule what Yobi has been trying to do. I'm just trying to figure out how popular you are that you go to cocktail parties that there, where there's somebody a hundred meters behind you. That is that is a ginormous. That's a cocktail party the size of a football field, right? I mean, that's I I gotta somehow get invited to these parties. You're super popular. Couple of questions for you. First of all, sure. what do you think? I'm gonna ask you about the 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 biometrics, other stuff they're gonna they're gonna interpolate. But um, first of all, what what is one of the hardest background noises to filter out? Have you found? Is it just background conversation or are there other noises or what? And that's a great question, Darren. So if we were a machine learning based kind of solution, I would be able to give you that answer. Right. But we're not. Right. So it's not the kind of noise that's the challenge. For us, it's the SNR. It's all around the signal noise ratio. So in our world, it's the distance of the noise because a near field noise source is always gonna dominate the auditory scene versus a far field noise source. We're agnostic, it doesn't, it, we don't care. It could be machine noise, it could be music. I mean, I think speech is always challenging because you're separating one speaker from another speaker. So that's, that in our world, that's a challenge, right? Because we are looking at biometrics. So we have to decide which biometric signature we're focusing on. But the type of noise, if we take voice and put voice in a different category, um, we're agnostic. Um, it's really around, you know, the SNR, the signal to noise ratio of the speech that we're trying to focus on. Okay. Second part of this is what kind of emotions, what kind of biometrics are you able to get out of that? Literally from, from what you're able to, you know, pick up, what kind of things can you, can you interpret? Well, so, so let's separate biometrics from, from emotion detection, right? So, so biometrics are just going to be the unique formats that you have as an individual based on whether it be your physiological differences because of the, the length of your larynx or, <clears throat> excuse me, um, how your vocal cords react to sounds. And then there's also you know, what I call social cues, you know, the way that I say Connecticut because I'm from Connecticut versus the way somebody else not from, you know, not from Connecticut, right? So when you put those two different combinations together, you get this interesting uh, combination lock that gives us a lot of clarity on it's Ken saying the word Connecticut. So you can identify it's me. 
the emotional context is a little different, right? And we're not trying to give you, you know, 14 layers of emotions. We're trying to still them into four different distinct categories, right? Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I irritated or upset? And am I neutral? And based on those four categories, it gives me a lot of latitude on how a device or our partners should respond to you or take it a step further. Uh, we've had conversations with organizations that are in the media streaming business. And the holy grail would be for you to ask for something that you don't know you need, right? So I get into my car and I say, you know, play me music. And somewhere I'm able to pick out one of those four emotion categories. I know it's you because I biometrically track this you. And I know your playlist. And you sound a little upset. I know what you listen to because I have your playlist. I'm going to play you that song that you listen to that I think is going to be consistent with how you feel. And next thing you know, you have an emotional experience with your media playback solution because I was cognizant of what you asked for, the environment in which you asked for it in, and your emotional state. That's where we think our front end becomes interesting to platforms as they start to mature into the voice space. That's pretty cool. What kind of customers or partners uh, are getting excited about this? And you know, where are you finding traction? Well, that's interesting. So we, we cut our teeth a lot on, on the, uh, in the three-letter agency surveillance business. So we spent a lot of time there for people that wanted to listen to you, whether you wanted them to listen or not. Um, but a lot of that science has been basically applied to what we're finding in the consumer space. And, you know, COVID did not hurt the, the, the voice business to a certain degree, right? You know, there are a lot of environments in which you don't want to touch screens anymore and you wanna use voice as a command and control. So we're finding activity across the board, Jeff, for, for organizations that are looking at voice as not just a new interface. I think that the, the race is on and you guys are you know, having conversations in the voice space all the time, so you can actually give me your opinion on this, but we're seeing a lot of activity around um, different revenue generators or revenue um, opportunities associated with voice. You know, We're working with companies that are very, uh, bullish around uh, speech and voice advertising. So giving you ads via speech versus the intrusive pop-up ads you normally deal with. Um, Drive-through uh, organizations, uh, you know, obviously we've seen some of the news recently with IBM Watson and McDonald's and Google's partnership with Wendy's. That's a prime example of creating a, a conversational AI type of a platform for something very complex, which is I'm going to order food. I'm going to change my mind. My kids are screaming in the background. It's windy outside and my car is running. Right. And so, you know, there's not a simple question as far as where we're getting traction, Jeff. If, if you are looking at the voice space, uh, because we are, you know, platform agnostic to a certain degree and we're form factor agnostic, we have interest across a lot of different verticals. It's really been difficult for us to stay focused, right? Because we have a lot of different applications and we've been trying to really stay focused on very specific use cases. Um, but, you know, uh, needless to say, I think the, the voice genie is out the bottle, right? And so more and more companies are really starting to explore it. And the more they explore, the more they start to figure out that the audio front end or the, the front end part of it is an integral part and creates a bottleneck if you don't get that right to what happens, you know, in your natural language processing after. And even better, when you're talking about it, can sometimes interpret your mood when they come through the drive-in. They'll say like, oh, you sound a little upset. Can I get you a milkshake? Because you seem like you need to have a little ice cream to pep you up, right? It'll be interpret that. 
Well, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't explored that use case yet, Darren. So I'll bring that See, up in my I next know. conversation. This, this but, could be a million. But, uh, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm just sure. telling you, this is going to change your business, and you're going to come back to me and thank me. Say, was like, you know, Darren, that was you just told me that thing. Now all the Chick Fil A's are inviting people to have their milkshakes when they can sense that they're upset, and it's been a bajillion dollar industry, yeah. and it all happened right here. Every people are hearing it right now, unfold before their very ears. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll leave it to you guys to extrapolate that, but. uh uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the emotion stuff for us really has been, we haven't rolled it out commercially. It, it's still been, we, we are positioning the demo at CES. Um, so people can take a look at that. Um, and we assume it's going to be, you know, be ready for demonstration at that point. But our real focus has been primarily on our first offering, which is, you know, can we clean up the signal in a way that is not aggressive or abrasive to whatever backend partner you're using? And I think this is the genesis of our conversation with Jeff. Um, you know, we worked with Cobalt in our early years on an SBIR grant to quantify the value of our solution in front of things like speaker recognition and speech recognition. So one of the, the, the things that we bring to the table is the ability to aggressively process a signal in a noisy environment, but not create the artifacts that adversely affect your backend ASR, um, which is a big deal, right? Um, in reference to, can you partner with different groups to clean up the signal in a way that is effective for them to not create more, more challenges for their natural language algorithms. And that's kind of been a real sweet spot for ours of ours initially is creating that type of environment where our awful and our process signal um, doesn't degrade your performance in any real demonstrative way. It actually improves it. And so, you know, the emotion and the biometrics, those are all what we call our version two or the, the Vesper, we have a whole platform that talks about that and that's gonna be launched in 2022. Um, but right now we're just, really busy just working with organizations and helping them as a you know downloadable device agnostic solution that works 100% on the edge we, we were not you know, using any type of connectivity or doing any kind of computations in in the cloud we're doing it all on device um, helping those organizations enabling those organizations to work in adverse environments or on devices like cell phones where the auditory scene is as diverse as, you know, they are mathematical equations, right? You can't always plan for when someone wants to use voice on a cell phone. Um, and so we help those organizations actually penetrate those markets. You talked about the beginning and back in the early days, I I'd heard that part of the genesis and the start for Yobi actually came from a, a child who was autistic. Can you explain yeah. a little about yeah. that story? Yeah. So, so it's interesting. We, we've, made some pivots since the beginning, right? But the, the, the genesis was a, a buddy of mine is the chief audio engineer at a pretty large media company. He's a, an artist. He's a production professional. Uh, I have an opinion. I spent enough time in, in, in studios. My dad's been in business for 30 years. I did the DJ instrument thing through college. Um, and Collins, my friend James' son, severely autistic and was having a problem listening to music inside of closed environments like a car. The acoustics of a car and the reflection of the signals was for him, based on the way he perceived sound through his autistic perception, was uncomfortable. It was, it was to the point where he couldn't listen to music in a car. And so James, my buddy, who was a, you know, a, a, a musician by trade uh, before he got into to, to production, um, the production business, thought there was a, a problem that he could solve, started working on frequency manipulation. Um, simultaneously, Collins was going through sound therapy, so they found some synergies there and stumbled across a process, uh, basically a 12-step process for manipulating frequencies that when Collins listened to it, he responded to. Like we were able to get him to stop and actually listen to music. But when we listened to it, he and I, with what we would call natural perception, 
what we heard was something that was different. It was spatial. It was 3D. It was what um, HDTV did for SDTV. It was something different. So um, at the time, I was running another business. Didn't think there was anything there from a business standpoint. James was doing all this with WAV files. Um, didn't think there was a business opportunity there because MP3s were dominating the marketplace. And so I said, you know, James, I don't think this is a business, but do me a favor compress the signal and give it to me as an mp3 and not a wave file and let's see what we have and what we found was it sounded better after compression than pre-compression which is counterintuitive like how do you get better fidelity with less data and what we stumbled across was a way to manipulate frequencies that stacked better through compression algorithms right and so we started in the music space you know we started talking to the spotify's the pandoras the titles of the world giving you better fidelity versus um, you know your, your competitors and doing it with lower packet sizes. But what we quickly found was the music industry had much bigger challenges than Fidelity. <laughs> so they had to figure out how to pay licensing fees. Um, and I had been tracking the year that I pivoted. So we were doing that for about a year and some change. But that year that I pivoted, I was tracking voice. And I was just watching Alexa sales, to be quite honest with you. And I was like, this is, this is interesting. I think this is going to be a UI. And so we started dabbling. I think that's right around the time we met Jeff. We started dabbling in, well, what do we do if we we're actually looking at speech and noisy environments? And what we found was that our unique batch of algorithms were uniquely suited for that particular problem um, and around biometric extraction, those type of things. So it took us down a different vein and we found ourselves in the voice business um, through that pivot. But the genesis of the technology, what we thought was a frequency enhancement solution what it really ended up being was a frequency repair solution. So it allows us to be super aggressive on the signal processing side, but in like a you know, broadcast studio post-production methodology, it allows us to build back all the damaged formants and all the things we ripped out of the signal. So the net net is a better sounding, lower artifact voice that you can actually do your computations on. So that's kind of the history of going from music into the voice space. I'm fascinated uh, by this example, but by so many examples of of companies that start out looking at one thing, and then there's this whole trajectory of they they you know they find they they're continually led to some adjacent technology or solution uh, until they end up uh, where where they end up and finding success. So yeah, uh, I'm glad that that story has worked out for you. Yeah, yeah, good. So, and Ken, a little bit earlier, you sort of dropped a thing about the genies out of the bottle. So that's that's always a question we have to ask everybody. If you could have a magic genie, you've got a genie in a box here, and you're going to rub the box, and the genie is going to pop out. What wish do you wish for for technology, for uh, capability, for functionality? If you've got this genie in a box, because it's like the voice box, the podcast, so the genies in the box get it. So you're the box, the genie's coming out of the box. You get any wish you want. What do you wish for that you could instantly have technology or functionality or capability to be able to do something that you're struggling with? Anything pop into your mind for your magic wish? Well, yes, and, 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 and I'll, I'll answer it this way. So one of the things that I've been really focusing on at building our company is that I think that when you enable different buckets of voice, all of this enabler is going to converge into some type of technology convergence. Right. There's going to be something in voice that's going to be what, you know, what happens when you marry a browser with an MP3 player and a phone. Right. 
you get this iPhone, you get this magical thing that changes the whole industry. There's something like that going on in the voice space. Don't know what it's going to be. But once you can enable better usage situations in noisy environments, you can give biometrics and you can give the metadata. Computational AI is basically going through leaps and bounds around progressions. We're getting some accuracy rates that we never got before in the industry. So that market is moving. We have all these ancillary voice related technologies that are now really coming into their own. What happens? What's the thing that's going to be the genesis for that next level of user interface or that next level of technology? The G, if I had the genie in the bottle, I wish he would just whisper what that was so I can start developing for it right now. Um, but something like that is happening in the voice space. And we're just trying to, you know, as a company, we're trying to skate to where the puck is going to be. And so we're trying to enable ourselves to put ourselves in a position that whatever that's going to be, we want to be the front end that enables it to work properly in any auditory environment. So that's probably it. I, I don't I don't wish anything different. I think the market is moving at a certain point. You know, a few years ago, I don't think that people really thought that there was a real big problem on the front end. Oh, yeah, you can solve it machine learning. But I think the adaptiveness has really come to to be one of our value propositions. But if that was the one thing I wish I understood was what's that convergence of technologies. So either we can invent it or we can basically design into it. Either way, uh, it's going to happen. And we're waiting for it to actually mature itself out. Okay, but before you go, here's the real question. The most important thing of the entire podcast, the question of the day that I was asking my smart speaker, L-I-V, that Roman numeral. Are you? What's your guess? Is that 14, 54, 96? Or 104. Well, you already said it. You have any you guess? said 54. So, oh, did I already say that? Did yeah, I already give the answer away? Yeah. Maybe we'll oh, see. What well, I maybe, maybe we'll go back in post production. We'll edit that out where you gave it away. Uh, <laughs> and I'll make it look yeah. like ends and Then nobody will know. And like, well, of course it's 54. Thanks so much for stopping in and sharing all your thoughts and insights with yeah. us. Guys, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Ken, take care. So, Jeff, I love everything that Ken was talking about and the technology and that stuff that you guys have been doing at Cobalt for, for a long time as well. The whole thing about background noises. So let me jump in on that. First of all, what, how, how good is the technology getting and what kind of advances are you guys doing as well to filter out background noises and what are, bad, what are the tricky background noises? Well, so there are, there are two parts of the, of the background noise problem. One is to recognize the speech in the presence of background noise. That's that's part one. And part two is figuring out what those background noises are, because that might be important for what you're trying to do. You might you might want to know if there's a siren or if there's gunfire or if there's uh, you know a lot of little kids running around yelling or whatever. That's gonna that may affect what you're you know how you're interacting with the person. Uh, a lot of different scenarios here. Um, so there's, there's, you know, recognizing the speech in the presence of that noise. And then there's secondly, understanding, well, what is that noise? What does that tell me about what's going on? So on the first question of understanding speech where there is noise, the main technique for that is to make sure that there is noise in your training data. When you're training your speech recognizer, uh, that you, you need to have examples where the dishwasher is running, the toilet is flushing, people are yelling in the background, the TV's on, whatever. You need examples of all of these noises in order to, um, in order to, to train a model to recognize the speech in the presence of those noises. I, I have to tell you a quick story. When, when I was at Amazon and we were building the, uh, the speech models for, uh, for uh, Alexa when, when, before the Echo actually launched, 
we had a big a big effort where we we rented houses all across the country and we had uh, people we hired people to be like actors they didn't really know what they were doing but we said here stand here and read these commands uh and in the meantime you know we would wander around the house and flush the toilet and turn on the sink and start the dishwasher and and uh and whatever just to make sure that there were noises in the background i think that the people we hired they didn't know this was a secret project they didn't know what the alexa was was at all they must have thought we were some kind of weird nutcases that would hire them to stand in a room and read a script while we walked around the house flushing the toilets. Uh, but that helped those speech models be very robust toward those background noises. The noises that are the most troublesome are the ones that sound like a human voice. They're in the same frequency range as a human voice, and they're loud uh, so that they can drown out the voice. So it might be you know, a baby crying or or something like that, that, you know, if it's if it's close to the microphone, there's just, I mean, we humans sometimes have a hard time. I have a hard time in my house if I'm trying to listen to my wife and my son starts talking and, and whatever. I, I, I have a hard time being able to, I have to be able to like look at my wife's mouth, my, her lips to be able to watch what she's saying. To, this is what Ken was talking about, about paying attention and, and staying focused on what, you know, what is the context of what she's saying. I got to interrupt though, because if your wife and your son are both talking to you, which does your brain tell you is more important to listen My to? wife is always more important. Okay. Good answer. Good answer. You passed that test. Just making sure. And I hope she's, I hope she listens to this podcast. <laughs> well, it's, it's fascinating listening to all the things that he's doing and the stuff that you're doing. And, and I'm excited to see where the technology is going to be going because I don't ever want my question of the day ruined again and by the garbage disposal or a dog or or the dishwasher or certainly by anyone flushing a toilet. I still get, I'm, I'm imagining that guy goes home from work one day and his, his wife says like, hey, honey, what'd you do today? I don't know. I just stood in this room and these people had the worst bladder problems in the world, like flushing toilets all day long. And little did they know it all led to what we have today. So it's fascinating to see where everything's going and what we're going to be like in a few years. So thanks, everybody. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of The Voice Box. I'm Darren. And I'm Jeff. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.